Hi, I'm Mike Reese. I've been a Simpsons writer for 32 years. In my spare time, I visit the world's hotspots and hellholes, so you won't have to. Welcome to the podcast that answers the question, what am I doing here? My wife and I took Christmas vacation in Pakistan. We spent a week in the remote Kalash Valley attending their annual pagan ceremony. They called it a moon festival, but it was really just seven days of goat beheadings. A veritable French revolution for goats. At night, the villagers would sing us their local folk song. That song, singular. They only had one song, but they sang it six hours a night, six nights in a row. After a week of this, I began to envy the goats. I couldn't wait to get the hell out of there, but there was a problem. The only road out of the valley had been blocked by a landslide, and the only bulldozer in the region had been brought in to clear the road, but it got mired in the mud and slipped off its treads. The bulldozer that was supposed to rescue us had now made the problem much, much worse. It was blocking the road, dangling halfway off a mountain path, threatening to crush our village below. Our only way out was to crawl over it. As we dragged our luggage over the mud-caked bulldozer treads dangling 200 feet in the air, I said to my wife, You wanted to come here? It's a line I've used a lot over the years. When we were kidnapped in Honduras, when we were interrogated in Iran, and that morning we were robbed in Rio, twice. You wanted to come here. It always makes her laugh. In 32 years of marriage, my wife has dragged me like a battered valise to 134 countries and both poles. Lately, we've been hitting the stands. As I mentioned, there's Pakistan, as well as Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan, and now she wants to go to Afghanistan for reasons I don't quite understand. Oh, well. To quote an old Choctaw proverb, happy wife, happy life. Denise is an indefatigable and intrepid traveler. I, on the other hand, am easily fatigable and highly trepid. Maybe it's our age difference. I'm 61, while she's a sprightly 5011. More likely, this problem, like every problem in every marriage, can be blamed on our parents. As a girl, Denise and her mother traveled around the world three times. They went to places I'd never heard of, like Peshawar, and places I'd heard of but thought were imaginary, like the Kingdom of Swat. They were not wealthy people, but these were the days of Europe on $5 a day and India on a nickel a month. She and her mom loved traveling and her dad loved having the house to himself. In my home, travel was something to be dreaded. Every summer, my dad would jam his five screaming kids into a station wagon and drive us to Civil War sites. Every summer, another battlefield. Our family photo album could have been shot by Matthew Brady. I met Denise in 1977 when she was studying at Harvard and I was at Harvard not studying. She was and is brilliant, buoyant, and ridiculously beautiful. Denise is frequently mistaken for Nicole Kidman, while I look like a bag of wet garbage. I married up, she settled, and we both know it. 
I love my wife and she loves to travel, so I go wherever she tells me. This is not an uncommon situation. Women think men are ignorant brutes, and we is, but there are so many things we do for them that we would never do on our own. Things like attending Broadway shows, going to museums, shopping for anything other than food and underpants, watching the real housewives of anywhere, buying homes, having children, and wearing pants. We do these things for you. As Abraham Lincoln said in his second inaugural address, happy wife, happy life. Denise and I got married in late 1988. Up until then, I'd been spending 100-hour weeks writing TV shows like The Simpsons, It's Gary Shandling Show, and ALF. Our honeymoon would be the first trip we ever took together. We'd each narrowed our list of destinations to two. I suggested Disneyland or Disney World. Denise pitched Yemen or Siberia. Uh, honey, I had to tell her, those are places people want to get out of. In the end, we compromised. I chose Hawaii, and Denise picked the very worst part of Hawaii, the island of Kauai. Now, Kauai is a lovely place to have a horrible vacation. That's why they filmed Jurassic Park there, or at least they tried to until a typhoon destroyed the sets. Our honeymoon was five days of nonstop rain. We took an all-day sightseeing bus tour, but the only sight to see was fog. I'm sorry about this, I told Denise. You can't predict these things. Sure you can. Kauai is the rainiest spot on Earth. Denise waits to drop these bombshells on me until the end of a trip. As we were leaving Papua New Guinea after a week's visit, she told me, Oh, by the way, they eat people here. Now this, after all, is the point of a honeymoon. A new couple goes somewhere romantic, so they can learn unsettling truths about the people they've just chained themselves to for life. I realized there were two reasons Denise chose the wettest place on earth for our honeymoon. The first one, my wife fears the sun. She's not afraid to visit a war zone or an oppressive dictatorship, but a sunny day scares the living crap out of her. Before she leaves the house, she bundles up like a beekeeper. Long sleeves, long pants, gloves, scarf, and broad-brimmed hat. Even women in burkas tell her to loosen up. But all this protection has served her well. Now in our 60s, Denise has the skin of an adolescent, while I have the skin of an avocado. Denise will book us a trip to some tropical paradise and then spend the days holed up in dark museums. We only hit the beaches after sunset, like snorkeling vampires. In fact, she may be a vampire. She doesn't age, she hates garlic, and she sleeps in a coffin. I'm just kidding. She loves garlic. Reason number two she picked the wettest spot on earth for our honeymoon, she loves extreme destinations. After visiting the wettest place on earth, Denise took me to the driest place on earth, the Atacama Desert, then the highest place, Mount Everest, and the lowest, the Dead Sea, and finally, the dullest place on earth, her 25th high school reunion. I regard every new trip the way I regard every new U.S. president. A little hope, a lot of fear, and the belief that somehow I will survive this. It's like Polonius told Hamlet in Act 3, happy wife, happy life. Mm -hmm.
For our first anniversary, Denise wanted to visit Libya, but I hadn't even been to London yet. Clearly, I needed to play some catch-up, so we embarked on a survey tour, a cheap bus trip that roared across Europe faster than the German army. It was a grueling trip, but we were young back then. The other 42 people on the trip were very old. At least three were corpses, people who had paid for the trip, died, but still insisted on going. Our tour guide, the man who would be our constant companion for the next two weeks, came aboard. Hello, I'm Fraser Johnson, and I do not wish to be here. I was supposed to be on Christmas holiday with Mother, but your scheduled tour director was indisposed. There's a toilet in the back of the bus. Don't use it. I do not intend to drive your poo across Europe for the next two weeks. I turned to my wife. You wanted to come here? Shut up. The honeymoon was over. Our itinerary somehow brought us to 18 countries in 14 days. Here's a typical day on one of these bus tours. You wake up before sunrise in Milan, three hours on the bus to Pisa, 10 minutes at the Leaning Tower, back on the bus for a four-hour drive to Rome, arrive after dark when nothing's open so you go to sleep. One passenger called it a tour of the closed signs of Europe. The hotels they parked us in were cheap and way out of town. And breakfast every morning in every country was Cocoa Puffs. Somehow Europe got the memo that Americans love these poison little pellets of, well, let's call it chocolate. It's a cereal so bad, even its cartoon bird mascot has gone insane. The thing that struck me most was how profoundly dumb our fellow passengers seemed. There was an old man from Kentucky whose wife called him Superman for some reason. He had no understanding of foreign currency and was constantly being swindled by souvenir sellers. Interpol seemed to be steering European con men towards him. One morning, he came into Cocoa Puffs wearing a Tyrolean hat with a fake feather in it. Look at this hat. Only cost me five bucks American. I examined the price tag and had to tell him, actually, you paid 50 bucks. God damn it, damn. I was amazed the man could survive to old age being this stupid. And I was distressed to learn he had passed his genes on to 10 children and 38 grandchildren. Maybe that's why his wife called him Superman. Then there was the guy who managed to find an Irish pub in every country we visited. When I asked him how his evening went, he always had one of two replies. It was great. They played Danny Boy and when Irish eyes are smiling. Or, it was terrible. They didn't play Danny Boy or when Irish eyes are smiling. This man seemed to judge all of human existence on this single criterion. How did a guy like this even make a living? He said, I'm the deputy director for the Center for Disease Control. He wasn't a dope. He just liked what he liked. Then there was Fred Frumpkin from Fort Myers, Florida. I didn't make that up. I couldn't make that up. And I wouldn't make that up. Fred Frumpkin would always ask the strangest, most niggling questions of every tour guide. Questions like, do all guillotine blades slant in the same direction? Were there models for the Notre Dame gargoyles? And here is one. Did chamber pots freeze up on winter nights? If so, how would you clean them? I told Fred I'd never seen a mind at work like his. 
What did he do for a living? And he said, I write instruction manuals. Another member of the group was an electrician from the Bronx. No matter how awe-inspiring the cathedral or castle we visited, this guy couldn't take his eyes off the wiring. When we toured Windsor Castle, he pointed to an overloaded outlet with cords snaking under a medieval tapestry. You see that? Someday this place is going to go up like a Roman candle. And two years later, it did. I grew to really like this group. Except for Superman, they weren't dumb at all. They may not have been worldly or sophisticated, but they were out there trying. They weren't old farts sitting home in their rockers. These people were off their rockers. I enjoyed the trip. I visited a lot of great sites, however briefly, and I made a lot of good friends, none of whom I ever saw or spoke to again. As I left the bus, I handed a nice tip to our irascible guide, Fraser. He stared at the cash in his hand, baffled. In four decades as a nasty British tour guide, he'd never been tipped. A lot of funny stories came out of that trip, enough to fill a great comedy movie. Or in my case, a god-awful comedy movie. I wrote a screenplay about a tour group in Greece called My Life in Ruins. Critics loved that title and nothing else about it. The movie got a 9% on Rotten Tomatoes, putting it 5% below Howard the Duck and 11 points below Cats. Cats! It was worse than Cats! The toughest critic of all was my father. I invited my parents to the world premiere, and at the end of the movie, my dad turned to my mom and said, You wanted to come here? What Am I Doing Here was written and performed by Mike Reese and produced by Josh Perillo featuring Denise Reese as herself. Additional voices by Trevor Morris, Mike's funny doorman.